Well, hey everybody, last week Matt started talking to us a little bit about the idea of lament. And the whole idea behind lament is that God created us in his image for his glory. And what we experience on a daily basis in our own lives and the world around us is the painful reality that we fall far, far short of the glory that he created us for. It's the, the reality of Romans 3.23. And we experience that both uh, in our own lives with our sin or, or different weaknesses or challenges we experience. And we experience that in the brokenness of the world around us too. Um, so we're going to continue talking about lament today. And specifically, uh, we're going to be talking about lamenting community or national sin. Lamenting community or national sin. And we're going to do a couple things. We're going to first look at the example of, of Nehemiah uh, and how he laments when he's confronted with, with community sin and national sin within the people of Israel. And then we're going to look at kind of how we can, what we can learn from that example as we think about racism. And, you know, racism, as I don't need to tell, tell you all, I'm sure, ha has very much come to the forefront of the national discussion and the national dialogue. So we're going to look at Nehemiah's example and then what can we learn from what Nehemiah does, how he laments, as we um, seek to approach racism throughout history or in society currently, in our own lives or in the society around us, with the spirit of, of lament. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And the background of Nehemiah chapter 1 is that, so the people of Israel, God told them, he makes, he, he, he tells them, he makes a covenant with them saying, if you, if you obey me, if you love me, if you worship me, if you're faithful to me, then you'll be my people and I'll be your God and he'll bless them and, and give them prosperity and abundance. But if you're not faithful, if you disobey me, then God said he was going to allow surrounding nations to, um, to conquer them and that they were going to become slaves, that they would be exiled to, to a foreign country, which for somebody back at that time, it's kind of, it's basically the equivalent of having a nuclear bomb dropped on you. It's like, it's, the, it's probably the worst thing that you can imagine happen, having your, your pagan enemies come and, and ransack the city and then drag you off to be slaves somewhere else in a foreign country. And what happens is that Israel disobeys. They disobey time and time again. And finally, uh, God allows Babylon, the, the nation of the Babylonians, to come and conquer um, Judah and then the people that are in, in Jerusalem, they're exiled to Babylon. And so Nehemiah, when he's writing this, or when this story is taking place, Nehemiah is in Babylon, where they've been exiled to, but some of the people of Israel have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem, and they're trying to rebuild the city. And they encounter a problem, though, which is that um, that as they're trying to rebuild and, and sort of restore order to their society and get stuff up and running again, their, their pagan neighbors start attacking them and they start destroying the city and they start destroying the walls. And, and that's the news that Nehemiah is getting. Um, and we're going to see how he gets that message and then how he responds to it by, by lamenting. So let's read. Um, so, so Nehemiah, he's in Babylon, and then it, it happened in, in the 20th year. It says he was in Susa, in the citadel, so he's in, in the Babylonian Empire. And then at that point, uh, Han, uh, Hanani, one of, one of my brothers, Nehemiah speaking, he came with certain men from Judah. 
And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had gone back from exile to Jerusalem, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. So he says, hey, you know, you just came from, from Jerusalem. How, how's it going? How's the rebuilding process going? And in verse 3, he gets some bad news. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So this is a big deal because in that culture, the, the city, you're only as safe as, as your city wall is strong. So if you don't have a city wall, it's just kind of like having a house where the front door doesn't lock. And anybody who wants to, to take anything or attack you can just waltz right on in and, and, and hurt you. And so this is a big deal. He gets this news that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. There's no more protection, no more barrier. And then the gates are destroyed by fire. And so that's the news Nehemiah gets. Now let's see how he responds to it. Now in verse 4, Nehemiah says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So the first thing that Nehemiah does, and we're just going to take these kind of as we walk through the passage, the first thing that we see Nehemiah does is he grieves. And grieving, you know, basically means giving yourself permission to feel awful and to feel confused. You know, so he, it's, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of times we feel pressure when something bad happens to, to immediately analyze it and kind of, you know, know what's going on and, and, and find a solution. But, but Nehemiah, the first thing he does when he gets this, this terrible news is he, he grieves. He, um, yeah, he, he wept and mourned and continued fasting and praying before God uh, for days. Um, and then the second thing he does is he starts confessing sin. Um, and we see that in verse 5. So he, he, he grieves, he's weeping and mourning and fasting, and then he starts talking to God. You know, he doesn't, his first response isn't to go kind of talk to some of his friends and say, hey, what are we going to do about this? Or it's not to, not to you know, jump on social media or, 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 or whatever. He, he starts a, a conversation, but the first conversation he starts is, is with God. And in verse 5, he said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which, you, which we have sinned against you. Okay, so look at that in verse... Um, in verse, in verse 6. So he's praying to God, and what's he doing? He says he's praying day and night, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. Okay, and remember we said that the, the reason that God allowed all of this stuff to happen is because the people of Israel sinned against God, and they rebelled against him, and they weren't faithful to him. that They didn't obey him, and so God allowed this stuff to happen. And Nehemiah, he starts to confess, and again, this, he's not even saying yet, things he's personally done. He's saying, you know, we as a nation, he starts confessing the sins of his, of his people as a whole. Um, so con he's confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And it's not, you know, those bad seeds over there have done it. It's we have done this, right? And then um, he continues on in the second part of verse six, he, he starts to get more personal. He says, even I and my father's house have sinned. So we have sinned as a nation, even I as my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Okay, so he grieves and then he confesses his, he confesses sin, both sin that that is national community-wide sin, and, and also he recognizes his personal role in it, that he's been a, a part of that to a greater degree or, or a lesser degree, we, we don't know, but he confesses community sin and then also his, his family and, and personal sin. He says, we have, have broken your, your commandments, we've sinned against, against God. And then the third thing he does, he doesn't stop just wallowing in the, in the sin, the third thing he does in verse eight is he starts to claim God's covenant promises. He starts to claim God's covenant promises. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you. He says, if you are unfaithful, so in verse 8, remember the word you've commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, then I will scatter you among the peoples. So if you are unfaithful, if you disobey me, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to be enslaved and taken off into exile. But in verse 9, but if you return to me and if you keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the, to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by, by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your, your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he's talking about the king that he's going to go, go and approach. So he, he grieves, he confesses sin, and then he claims God's promises. And in a sense, he's, rem he's reminding himself and also in conversation with God, reminding God, he's saying, God, look, we, we get it that we sinned against you. And you said that if we sin, the consequence would be exile. And, and we get that and we take responsibility for that. But God, don't forget that you also said if we repent and if we come back to you, that no matter how bad the situation is, you're going to continue to be good to us. You're going to bring us back and you're going to restore us and you're going to protect your, your people and continue to build them up into the, into the people that, that you're going to use for, for your name and, and for your glory. So he claims those promises saying that, you know, things are really bad and, and you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is our fault, you know, we're, we're to blame here, but God, we, we still trust that you're, you're going to be true to your promises, now please, now please do that. Um, so what can we learn about this? What can we learn from Nehemiah about lamenting racism? And yeah, whether it's in our own lives or in the, in the community around us. Well, I think that, you know, Nehemiah is in a very different situation than we are. And, you know, we're not, we're not Israelites. We're, we're members of God's family like Nehemiah was, but we're not the nation of Israel. And, you know, America is not Israel. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful w with the way we talk about that. But I think we can learn from Nehemiah how to lament um, community sin using the same process that he uses here. First of all, he grieves. And again, like I said, so often the first thing we try to do is to, to figure out, okay, you know, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? You know, what's the problem? What's the solution? How can we fix it? What policies do we need? Um, all this type of stuff. 
And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm confronted with something that's really depressing or really tragic or whatever, I'll just feel really bad. And it's important that we give ourselves permission to, to grieve, to, 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 to be able to, to stay, not permanently, but to, to, to hang out, to spend some time in that place of where we're just really sad and we're just really confused. You know, to, to grieve before God and give us ourselves permission to not have it figured out yet. Um, and second of all, to confess, our, to confess sin. You know, to confess that we as a, we as a country um, ha, have sinned, that the community that I'm a part of, you know, and again, we don't know for Nehemiah, it seems like he's a pretty upstanding guy because, well, I mean, if you keep reading Nehemiah, we'll, you'll see that he goes back and he ends up being a very powerful leader. And obviously, if he's responding this way, I mean, he seems to be a very, a very pious person who loves God. You know, it, it doesn't seem like Nehemiah has a little, um, has a little idol to bail in his closet and he's just caught red-handed. No, it's, it's, it seems like Nehemiah is a pretty good, good guy, but he doesn't try to say, oh, there were some people over there in Israel and they did some bad things and God, I understand. No, he says, we have failed to be faithful to you. And even, even I am my father's house. You know, I might not be as bad as, as some of the other people as far as, as far as idolatry or as far as disobeying God, but we have, we have failed to be completely faithful to what God has called us to, to live out and the way God has called us, us to be. Um, so we can, we can grieve, we can confess sin that we see in our community or that we see in our family history or that we see in our own lives, um, either in the past or, or, or currently concerning racism. And thirdly, we can claim God's promises that just like God had promised to the Israelites that if you repent and if you come back to me, if you cry out to me, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to you know, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. And, and no matter how bad it's gotten, you know, I'm, I'm still going to redeem you and, and, and allow you to continue being in my family and continue to do the work that I set out to do, which is to build a, a kingdom of people, a, a family of, of people who are glorifying me and who are a, a blessing to the world around them. And, and similarly, God has told us that for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who are disciples of Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we've been adopted by God into his family and that he started a work in us and through us to, to, to make us more like the glory of God that we were created to be like, and also to use us as a community, to use the, the church, the, the family of, of brothers and sisters who, who are all children of God, to use us to bring more and more people into this family and to express God's kingdom here on the earth. And, um, and, and we can claim those promises that even though we, we mess up and we have messed up, that God is going to, that he forgives us and that he still, he still loves us. We're still a part of his plan and he's still going to continue to use us. So grieving, confessing sin, and then also claiming God's promises. And I, I want to just very briefly in closing, I, I wanted to spend a couple minutes um, addressing two things that I think as we as we think about lamenting and approaching uh, approaching um, approaching the the conversation and the topic of, of racism with a spirit of lament, 
I think there's, there's at least two things, two kind of pitfalls that we need to be careful of because when we see these things coming up in our heart, um, it, it's, these are, this is not the fruit of, of humble lamenting before God. It's, 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 our, it's our flesh or it's, it's, something, it's something that we need to be careful of so we can ask God to, to take away. And these two things are, first of all, um, I would say defensiveness defensiveness. So, and, and I'll just be perfectly honest that this is something, so both of these things that I'm going to talk about are things that I see in myself and that I'm asking God to, to, to take away from me and to help me repent of. Um, but I, I just want to say that I think especially the, the first one of these, I, I see more prevalent in my, um, in my brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are older than me who are, you know, my, my parents' generation or, or kind of, you know, my age, I'm 35, my age and kind of older. I see this, this, this attitude of defensiveness more common in people that are older than me than people that are, that are younger than me. And, and, you know, defensiveness, what does that kind of look like? It's like when, when you're confronted with, when the conversation of racism comes up, you know, uh, immediately going to, well, my parents never owned slaves. My family never owned slaves. Well, but, but, but what about, what about racism towards white people? That's a thing too. Or, well, but, but what about, what about George Floyd's, you know, criminal record? You know, nobody's talking about that. And if, if these are things, if these are kind of reactions that you're sensing well up in yourself, I, I would encourage you to be careful to not fall into defensiveness. And, and again, let's look at the example of Nehemiah, the way he laments and how it would have been so easy for him to for him to bring so many things before God. I mean, again, these are, there's, there, and he's, he's, he's a pretty, seems like a pretty good guy and somebody who's been relatively faithful to God. So he could very easily say, oh, it's those, you know, those scoundrels from the, you know, it's those people that were worshiping Baal and that were going off to, that were, that were doing things that, that I wasn't doing and kind of put the blame on them. Or it'd be so easy for him when he hears about, pagan pagans that live around Jerusalem that are attacking and destroying the city to say to put the blame on them and say well wait a minute how come you know look what they're doing they're you know they're they're the problem um and and, you know there's there's truth to to all of those things very very likely but he doesn't do that he doesn't get into that defensive posture instead he 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 examines himself and he says okay you know there is sin in my community that's a part of this there's sin in my family there's even sin in me and he, he confesses that without giving a bunch of caveats or, or a lot of like, well, but what about blah, blah, blah. So that's the first one. I'd encourage you as you, as you sense defensiveness rising up in you to, to lean into the spirit of lament that we see in, in Nehemiah in this passage. And second of all, um, the second thing to be careful of and that we need to, to bring before God when, when we see it welling up in our heart, uh, I would say is self-condemnation self-condemnation. And, you know, if it's, and again, I see both defensiveness and self-condemnation in myself, but again, if I'm being honest, I I think I see more defensiveness in people that are older than me and more self-condemnation in people that are, that are younger than me, kind of millennials and and the the younger generation. And, you know, self-condemnation is tough because from the outside, it looks really humble and it looks really spiritual. You know, to sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm just this piece of trash, 
white man and you know I'm just pure evil and just just hating yourself and beating yourself up um, and, and and that seems really humble and it seems even really spiritual but I, I think that self-condemnation is I, I, I don't think it is appropriate I, I know it's not appropriate and I think instead of being the the proper response that Christians should have in this situation I think it's actually very selfish and I think it's actually an insult to God I think it's, it's selfish because, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, I, I see people and it seems like they're spending so much time beating themselves up and, and thinking about what a terrible person they are that they don't have any leftover time or energy to think about how they can serve their neighbor. And, and isn't that kind of the, the whole heart of the matter here that we should be uh, that we should be seeking to love and to sacrificially serve our neighbors instead of oppressing them. But so many of us, we're so, we can be so consumed by self-hatred and self-loathing and trying just to beat ourselves up that, that we're not even thinking about that. Okay, so I, I think it's selfish. And, and also, I mean, you know, just to be really practical, I mean, no amount of self-hatred or self-loathing or, or thinking about how bad you are or just beating yourself up is going to change the reality of slavery. You know, none of that's going to help black people that have experienced injustice or are continuing to experience injustice. Um, so so it's, it's number one, it's, it's selfish because it's the focus is all on, on us and, and how bad we are instead of instead of what God wants us to do to help and to serve our, our, our neighbors. Um, but second of all, it's an insult to God. It's an insult to God because it's not um, it's failing to remember and to believe God's promises. And let's look real quick at 1 John, at 1 John 1. And so, so listen to what this says. Um, 1 John 1, I'll start in verse 8. He says, If we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, you know, that's talking about defensiveness, you know, when somebody's pointing out something or when we start to think about, okay, maybe we were wrong here to say, ah, you know, I might not be perfect, but I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a sinner, I'm not, I don't think I used sin, that word, you know, so, so don't do that because, because if we say that we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, you know, don't be defensive, be ready to confess your sin and to reveal it to God. And then verse 9, this is the part that kind of gets to the root of self-condemnation. He says, if we confess our sins, then he, then God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, and so if, if we're sitting here just beating ourselves up and just thinking about, oh, I'm just terrible and, you know, I hate myself and all this, then what we're, we're forgetting that God has promised us, if we confess that to him, if you're a child of God, if you're a disciple of Christ, then he has already forgiven you of that sin, and he's also cleansed you of, of all of your unrighteousness. And so it's insulting to God for us to feel like we need to condemn ourselves for something that he's already forgiven us for in, in Christ Jesus. And so, honestly, I think this is so important because our communities and our countries, they've, we've really never needed Christians more than we ever have before. We never needed Christians more in the past than we do now. 
We really need Christians to be involved in this discussion, I'll say it that way. And the reason is, is that Christians are uniquely positioned to, first of all, when we confront sin, to not be defensive about it. You know, as Christians, we're not afraid to, to, to find sin in our lives or in our communities or in our family history because we know what to do with it. We know we can give it to, to Christ and he's, he, he'll, he'll forgive us, he'll cleanse us, he'll give us the power to change. So, so we cannot be defensive and we can also avoid self-condemnation because when we do recognize that sin, you know, we, we don't just spend all day in self-loathing we can, we can experience God's forgiveness, and then we can do what Nehemiah does. And what does Nehemiah do? You know, when, if, I don't know if you noticed that, but when he gets to the end of that prayer, he's already, you know, he's, he's grieved, he's confessing his sin, he's remembering God's promises, and then he immediately starts to look for ways he can be a part of what God is doing in his community and what God is doing among his people to help rebuild the wall. And that's the rest of the story of Nehemiah is that he goes and he does that. And so for us as Christians, the, the gospel allows us to not be defensive, and it also allows us to not condemn ourselves. And instead of sitting here thinking about, you know, what we did or didn't do or, you know, how, how terrible we are or whatever, we can, we can be reminded, no, we're members of the family of God, and God is working through us and in us to, to, to help bring the gospel and help bring redemption to the rest of the world. And then we can be like Nehemiah and look for ways we can, we can serve. We can serve specifically in our communities and specifically in the area of, of racial injustice. So that's my encouragement for you today. Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I just ask you to give us soft hearts, give us gospel hearts, and I pray that you would help us to lament God. Um, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would remove all defensiveness that you would remove all self-condemnation and instead just give us hope in the gospel. Give us conviction and give us hope in the gospel. And God, I pray that you would use Northwest Community Church, that you would use Cary, North Carolina, um, all of our brothers and sisters that are throughout the, the, the world and throughout the, the nation um, to be a part of reflecting your glory and bringing redemption, bringing reconciliation and bringing justice to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.